I'm Tom DeSorcy. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. This is Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. Elected officials play a big role in emergency response. However, a more important contribution may well be in emergency preparedness. One person who knows both sides of this is the Honourable Tory Rushton, Nova Scotia MLA from Cumberland South, and the Minister of Natural Resources and Renewables. First elected to the Nova Scotia House of Assembly in 2018, he's also a retired fire chief from Oxford, Nova Scotia, and joins us today from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, Mr. Minister, Tory, my friend, welcome. Tom, it's great to see you again. How you been? Ah, very well, thank you very much. I mean, give me, give us a little background. This is interesting to have this discussion today, and and talk about you. You you're born and raised in in Oxford, is that correct? Correct. Yes, uh, born and raised. Uh, Forty four years young, as I would say to my wife, but uh, I grew up in Oxford. Only traveling away from Oxford for for trips for work, um, which uh, which was involved in the fire service. Uh, uh, the Eastern Seaboard of North America, actually, as as a fire technician and and things, and uh, yeah, quite quite rightly, uh, fire was in my blood when I was when I was a kid. Uh, joined the local fire department uh, as soon as I can uh, could as a volunteer. Uh, was five years as a deputy chief, and my last twelve years in the fire service was a chief uh, as chief of the Oxford area before I uh, was elected. So talk about that experience and and being in a small town. How did how did you get in, introduced to the fire department now again and getting introduced to move up to become the chief? I mean, first off, is it a volunteer department in Oxford? Yeah, it is 100% volunteer. Uh, we uh, we are uh, funded by the municipality and uh, and some fundraising uh, that's done, obviously, by the volunteers. But uh, look, it, it it was an interesting 21 years. When I went in, it was uh, it was a bit of a political game of uh, who's going to get elected at this, this coming election uh, and who's not, <laughs> per se. But uh, one of the things uh, when, when I was 19 and joined the fire service, it, it was uh, it was it was a challenge for me to go in and do as much training as I could and be the best firefighter that I could be. Uh, my ambitions were actually to become a paramedic and uh, doing doing a little bit of uh, privatized uh, para, paramedic EMT, I guess, is what we were called at the time. Um, quickly learned that paramedic uh, business was not necessarily made for this guy. Uh, and I, I evolved my uh, my focus strictly on the fire service. And when I met my wife, uh, I'd already been embedded in the fire service, and I had 100% of the support uh, of my wife. And then when kids came, it uh, it was it was a it was a family commitment. And uh, Tom, I think when you, when you and I first ran into each other was uh, actually at the Canadian uh, Chiefs Conference in St. John's, uh, Newfoundland, a number right. of years back, and then reconnected at the Maritimes. But family was always a big part of that for the for the small rural town communities. Family is a big part of the fire service, and that allowed me to become chief for the last 12 years. That's a big commitment. Uh, not just the the chief aspect, I also took initiative uh, locally with the Fire Service Association in Nova Scotia and the Maritime Fire Chiefs Association, where you and I uh, maintained a, a connection and a friendship, Tom. Again, Oxford being your, your I, I don't want to maybe not use the term typical, but it certainly could be from a national perspective in a small community with a volunteer fire department. Tell us about some of the challenges. I mean, talk of is it is it a one hall, one station, or, or more department? And what are some of the uh, what are some of the risks that you face in that community? Yeah, certainly uh, the, the risk. We have uh, actually the the largest uh, wild wild blueberry producer in the world. Uh, Oxford right. Frozen Foods sits sits right in Oxford, a lar- one of the largest uh, storage of, of ammonia capacity. 
um, one of the largest electrical users, and I understand one of the largest uh, uh, fire alarm systems uh, on one site. So, I mean, there, there's some challenges with with industrial aspects, as many rural uh, communities would have in, in Nova Scotia with the processing plants and such. Uh, but we also have uh, the main artery of, of the Trans-Canada Highway where it enters into uh, from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia. If, if you're headed to Halifax from, from New Brunswick or anywhere else in Canada, you're going by the doorstep of, uh, of Oxford. Uh, so the highway calls uh, motor vehicle extrication uh, was a big, uh, big proponent of, of our fire service. And as, as you're very well familiar, familiar with is uh, water issues. Uh, we have three uh, three rivers that do flow through uh, through Oxford. One of them is one of the uh, major Atlantic salmon fishing uh, attractions for for recreational fishers. But uh, come come springtime, that uh, it's a major issue for for flooding for our community, where we're actually split into half, many springs, and uh, every now and then uh, the, the the community floods because of these three rivers uh, backed up with ice jams and such. So the, the the typical rural community where you're you're faced with a lot of challenges, but uh, a lot of people step up to the plate that want to be in the fire service and just help out in those situations. And, and and we, you know, I know, and the fire community certainly knows, we use the word fire, but we are emergency managers. We are dealing with these incidents all the time. And I don't think people, a lot of people realize that. My, my time as uh, deputy chief uh, in the early 2000s would uh, would often get me in trouble when I was uh, communicating with other emergency services because I I, I would explain the uh, the volunteer fire service in in Nova Scotia specifically as uh, the tailpipe or the sewer pipe of the emergency service. If there's no other emergency group that wants to do it, who are we going to give it to? The fire service. And every time, Tom, you know as well as I do, every single time we would step up to the plate and, and uh, lo- look for a pathway to to come up with a solution. Tell me about your introduction to to government. Um, I mean, obviously dealing with local government at the uh, at the fire and the Oxford level. But how about your introduction to government and I guess moving forward into politics? Was that always was that always part of the plan? Yeah, no. Well, I don't know whether it was part of a plan or or maybe a dream within within my small child. Uh, so uh, something you may not know about myself, Tom. My, my grandfather, George Henley, was uh, MLA in the area for twenty uh, some years, nineteen sixty two to eighty four. He retired, and uh, actually, uh, the Premier Houston, current our current Premier in the province, didn't realize it when he uh, when he asked me to step into the uh, the, the the chair of uh, natural resources and renewables. Uh, my grandfather was the former minister of lands and forestry, which would be the similar department. So politics was sort of always in my blood and and, and followed a little bit of that stream. But I, I sort of laugh when when I hear from any fire chief or deputy fire chief uh, that we, we don't get involved in politics. Well, the fire service is certainly pretty political, as we all know. We can appreciate that. But uh, so w- in dealing with the local municipal uh, level, I always had an interest w- within politics. I learned pretty quick that the municipal level might not necessarily be for me. And uh, an opportunity knocked, and, and I had a phone call one day from the local uh, a local association saying that there was going to be a by-election in my area, and uh, and the group was asking me to seek that nomination. So uh, that was in 2018, in January 2018. I was elected in May of uh, June of 2018, re-elected in 2021, and now here I sit at the minister desk, uh, uh, responsible for natural resources and renewables. And uh, it, it's certainly a, a pathway that I didn't think I was ever going to get to, but uh, very honored to be sitting here uh, representing Nova Scotians and, and making decisions every day for Nova Scotians. It's it's quite an honor to get uh, to get recognized at your at your local level to to put you there as a voice for for uh, for reason and uh, certainly with with the recent wildfires, Tom. Um, certainly a lot of the players that were already involved in the games on the 
a ground level. Um, I, I think I was a little bit more of an active minister than what the governments were, were used to because I knew the players in, in, involved and uh, certainly didn't mind uh, getting myself involved and not 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 uh, necessarily trying to interfere with any decisions or, or pathways, but certainly there to uh, to certainly support the, the frontline workers and, and the uh, responders to say, hey, what, what do you need and uh, how can we make your job better? Because we're in here for the long haul here. You, you clearly knew a bit about the portfolio when you uh, when you accepted uh, it, and I mean, tell us about it. What is what is the portfolio? A little bit uh, in detail in natural resources and renewables. Uh, tell us more about what that responsibility is. So yeah, no, Premier Houston has uh, combined two different departments. So uh, he's taken the the lands and forests, so the uh, the crown lands aspects, the the parks, uh, the uh, the wildlife management, uh, the forestry management. And also combined it with the energy and mines, so the uh, the, the the mineral rights for our province on, on crown lands, but the, also the uh, the energy side of things, the electrical grid. Uh, uh, but even more key right now is the uh, the, the renewable aspect, uh, wind turbines, uh, wind farms, solar, uh, a huge uh, aspect uh, of uh, tidal energy that we're looking to develop here in the province of Nova Scotia, and uh, certainly something I think you've heard about on the uh, on the west coast is the production of green hydrogen that the that the world's looking for. And uh, we've set some ambitious targets for uh, uh, five gigawatts of offshore wind uh, between uh, us and uh, Newfoundland per se to start producing green hydrogen for domestic use, but also export. And we're looking to have that uh, started, start in the process by uh, 2025, 2027. So it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting time for us to be here in Nova Scotia. And as I said before, it's an honor to be sort of sitting at the helm and helping steer the ship to uh, uh, prosperity for for Nova Scotia, if you will. Certainly, certainly, your province uh, has seen its uh, emergency response challenges in the last while. We'll talk wildfire in a few moments, but in overall, I mean, the rainfall, the floods, the the hurricane. I mean, how how are how is the province? How are you guys doing now? So no, thank you. It's uh, it certainly has been a challenge. Um, we, we were elected as government in 2021, uh, August of 2021. In late September 2021, we had a, a massive flooding issue between uh, Anik and Ish and Cape Breton, uh, where we saw many areas uh, in that uh, uh, roads devastated uh, and and sort of actions were put into place and we were getting our feet wet as, as a new government as well on how to respond to emergencies. Um, so there were some learning curves for a lot of ministers uh, and the premier himself. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, he got his feet in the ground uh, right away on day one in in there, and then following that, we we had a light winter in the in uh, in that year, but we we followed up with Fiona, and one of the most devastating uh, hurricanes that our province has seen, widespread devastation. We have a huge amount of fire risk that's laying on the ground right now that we're trying to clean up and uh, look for a pathway forward for that. And and then uh, lo and behold, this spring we had the wildfires, some major flooding over two different weekends here uh, th- this past month in the province. And uh, so certainly we, we, we've we taken a different level of, of a response that uh, our fire technicians within the Department of Natural Resources, which would typically be the forest fire uh, firefighters, the lead on on that, have taken some different roles uh, in Fiona where they were where they were doing cleanup uh, of some debris to assist with Nova Scotia Power getting electricity restored. Um, they've, they've taken different roles on uh, uh, slash maybe uh, assisting in some rescues during the floods. 
Um, so certainly there, there's a different change even with our wildland firefighters within the, within our government and some focuses on how we can incorporate some volunteer uh, aspects in, into what we how we respond as a provincial government, not to take any uh, away from anything that our current groups does or the municipal uh, levels do. How can we combine and have a unified uh, approach in the, in the next uh, disaster? Because we know it's not a matter of when it's or if it's, it's a matter of when it's going to happen. So, so more about the wildfire situation, and when we saw that, at least from the collective we out here in BC, where wildfire season was just getting started, and we're kind of used to that in terms of the summer and the smoke in the air, and I mean, it is devastating as always. But again, what tell us about this, the situation in May. Is, is this something that Nova Scotia is particularly prepared in terms of being used to? So, yeah, I, I think we, we've seen in the last number of years our fire season starting earlier, um, especially at the southern area where uh, the Barrington fire was. Uh, it's, it's not as much of a snowfall through the winter anymore. Um, it's a bit drier springs, typically the last number of years. So we're, we're having conversations of what, what should our fire season date, start date sort of be? Do we have to split the province up in different areas? Uh, those conversations were actually taking place before the large fires actually started. Um, because last year we had a major fire down toward Jeremoth. Uh, this year we had, uh, through the month of May, we had a lot of spot fires that were all throughout the whole province. We had a very, uh, very light snowfall throughout the whole province this year. We had some dry conditions in the spring and there were spot, a lot of spot fires that were going out. Uh, we had a bigger one the week before the Barrington fire down in Digby. Uh, we just got that under control. We actually sent a crew of 20 firefighters uh, to the Yukon um, mid-May. And when the Barrington and uh, Tantalum fires uh, started, we actually had to call those firefighters back to uh, be here for the province. And uh, we we, uh, it, we we certainly appreciate sharing our resources, but uh, it's it certainly given given us uh, a moment of, of thought in the whole process in early May. Um, should we be looking at uh, different tactics? Should our resources be implemented and deployed uh, in, in in the standby mode in different parts of the province and how do we utilize uh, what what resources we have because we know that uh, our, our frontline wildland firefighters if you will are, are probably going to be second on the scene it's probably going to be a municipal fire service that's first on the scene for these wildland firefighters so how can we do that unified approach to to ensure we have the right equipment the right training and the right uh, professionalism uh, on the ground as soon as possible what has to change, or again, what are some of the lessons learned? Is it, is it too early in the game, or are you looking at the what what has to change for the future now? So, so certainly, uh, and, and probably my department and directors get a little upset or frustrated at times because I I have been involved. Um, but they also appreciate that I have been involved and, and certainly bring things to the table. So I, I'm pushing for that uh, that debriefing to take a little bit quicker than than what they're they're probably normally used to. But yeah, I, I have a lot of a lot of uh, uh, questions uh, dur during the whole process of the wildfires when we had that major fire going on in Barrington, where we had the fire going on in Tantown and some other small fires throughout the whole province. Uh, we have about 300 wildland firefighters that are at our disposal within my department um, to utilize wherever we need them in the province. Um, but we also realize we have a huge, huge resource, and that's the municipal fire service, whether it's career or volunteer, that we're stepping up and calling in saying, I want to help, I want to help. And I, I recall the day specifically that the, the Premier and I were in Shubenacadie at the uh, Fire Command Center for the whole province. And uh, he started to talk, somebody had said, well, the, they, they suggested to me we bring in the militia. And uh, out of that whole conversation, at the end of the conversation, the Premier and I were sort of in tune. 
maybe we need to start a reserve of the fire service, uh, have the volunteers step up. If they can meet the fit test, if they can meet the quali qualified uh, training to say that they can be our frontline firefighters, then the province can uh, sort of temporarily hire them, if, if you will. Uh, so that, that was a process that evolved during the wildland firefighters to ensure that we had extra extra resources at, at our disposal. And out of uh, out of 300 some firefighters that called up and registered through the Fire Service Association of Nova Scotia, they were great partners through through that whole process. Uh, 300 some registered. We uh, we quantified uh, about 140 of them. And before the heavy rains actually came in June, we we actually ended up using 40 some of those volunteers uh, to, on on our fire scenes. And so we're we're not looking at that as just as a fix for the uh, for the 2023 fire season. Um, actually, uh, uh, President. Uh, uh, of the F, F Sands uh, Fire Service Association, Nova Scotia, Greg Jones, as many of you would know, um, he and I have actually had conversations. How do we evolve this in the years to come? Um, rather than wait until the situation happens, each county can they host their uh, host uh, the the natural resources uh, directors or, or staff to come in, qual uh, qualify that you can meet the fit test, uh, verify that you have the training, and you go into a data bank that we can utilize throughout the year. But it's not just as we talked about; it's not just for the wildland firefighters or, uh, for for the fires either. It could be for a hurricane response as well. Um, do they meet the uh, chainsaw requirements? So we're looking at how how do we how do we expose our, our dynamic as a provincial government, but how do we include that fire service uh, sector that always wants to step up as well? Like any other fire service, it's going to be, as we said at the beginning, that all hazards approach to being the ones that will the default responders, if you will. Now, I want to touch on that same idea of the reserves. I mean, there has been discussion uh, recently uh, about a federal uh, wildfire response, uh, you know, a national response. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on that, uh, on that level? Yeah, no, certainly, uh, Minister Wilkinson at the federal level, uh, NRCAN, um, we had many conversations during the wildland fire fires. Um, but I, I, I know through the CIFSI program, the, the, the Canadian agency that looks, uh, looks after fire service, wild firefighters, uh, throughout the whole uh, provincial and territorial uh, response. We have a we have a meeting every day, I believe local time here, it's at one o'clock. And they discuss who needs what, where do, where do resources need to go. Uh, I know uh, last last month, the end of last month, we sent a contingency of 20 firefighters to uh, the Northwest Territories. There's another 20 firefighters that left last week. So there's there's that resource that's still all already ongoing. But how can that improve? And and that that's one of the conversations that I that I did have with uh, some federal counterparts and some provincial counterparts as well. This is what we're doing in Nova Scotia. Uh, how to uh, how to expose uh, the level of uh, professionalism that we have within our fire service to assist us as a province in our wildland uh, uh, protection. What are you doing in other provinces as well? Um, I had a recent uh, uh, conversation with the chief of Oromocto and and uh, what they do, what Jody does there for urban interface. Uh, because how they're set up in New Brunswick is a little bit different than what uh, we have set up here in Nova Scotia. So I, I'm also looking to learn at a different level uh, of uh, fire response at the ministerial level of how can we incorporate some different things that are going on national nationally. So when, when you ask about that national response, certainly there, there's a level that we we can certainly be improving there. And, and I know that the fire service, I know from my previous uh, government experience, the fire service is knocking at the door saying, hey, we're, we're here willing to help. And, and if there's additional training, uh, we're certainly willing to do that. And uh, I know the fire service 100%. If there's additional funding, the hand is always out to, to make sure that that funding gets put to the right spot. Let, let's, let's talk about that handout. I mean, I know, you know, I know being involved in, in associations that emergency services, fire in particular, does come 
hat in hand to to all levels of government. Um, is that the right approach? Is the fire service doing the right thing by knocking on the door at so, government? No, certainly. I'll give you two quick stories. Uh, what I see uh, the Canadian uh, fire fire chiefs level doing uh, the the march on on the hill when they go visit Ottawa. Um, look, I've heard from uh, from previous colleagues that have visited Ottawa to speak with the elected officials. And now I'm on the other side hearing from those elected officials. It's an organized approach. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's making gangways. And locally here in the province, uh, previous to 2008, don't quote me on that whole whole date, but I think it was previous to 2008, the Fire Service Association in Nova Scotia uh, always promoted the fact that we were the voice to government. Um, but there was really never any listening there. And even when I was in opposition in 2018, I advocated to uh, to the to, to the government of the day, listen to the fire service, uh, that the association, their combined efforts uh, throughout the whole province. Um, and, and and the previous government did that well. And, and I, I echo it to all ministers that have to work with the uh, with FSANs and uh, communicate and uh, advocate with and for them. Um, that is, if, if we want to make effective change, we have to go through the uh, Fire Service Association in Nova Scotia. So I, I, I think we're on the right path. Um, I, I hear from other jurisdictions that don't have certainly that much level of, of, of things. But, uh, but I've said, to, well, our, our, our friend and colleague, Vince McKenzie, those approaches, uh, those approaches uh, on the Hill, they're, they're working. They're effective. And uh, we, we heard this uh, in, in Halifax in July at the Maritime Fire Chiefs Conference when uh, one of the federal MPs was actually speaking about issues that uh, the fire service straight across the country was, was speaking about. Now, I know I took my government hat off there a little bit and, and put on my fire service hat, but rightfully so. And, and when I say hat in hand or hand out for that funding, I didn't mean it as a dig to the fire service. I mean, as a chief, I took whatever amount of funding I could get, but I also wanted to make sure that that's, that's usually taxpayers' money that's going into that, that service. You needed to make sure that that funding went to the right allocations, the right training, the right equipment for the needs that you needed locally. And when, when we combine those efforts uh, at, a, at a small rural town of Oxford effort and expose those to the conversations that are taking place in the hill, it's only it's only beneficial to every fire service. And likewise, we, we have uh, FSANs uh, come into uh, our local caucuses and have a conversation. What are your wishes for the next year, five years, 10 years out? And uh, it's very beneficial. And uh, I encourage everybody, even even uh, party members on opposite uh, opposite sides of the legislature, when the fire service comes to have a chat with you, listen and uh, and make sure that you're paying attention to their needs because they're not just coming to ask for the sake of asking. These are usually requests that uh, that are needed for our communities. I've always said funding is only a small part of it. And I mean, yeah. money can only go so far, but money can't buy volunteer firefighters. And we, we, BC, nationally, we're in trouble. Um, and I've said it before, the 85% is not going to be there uh, at some point. That 85% of the fire service in Canada that is made up of volunteers at some point is going to age out. And and generationally, we're, I don't know what happens next. You know, and, and I saw this in my last few years as, as chief, the, the amount of volunteers were not coming to the door anymore. And the ones that did the previous five years um, we're not those firefighters that were going to be there for 15, 20, 25 years. Um, they were firefighters that, uh, young, young families that wanted to come in, experience it, do a little bit of training. 
but within five years they were tired of it and wanted to move on to a next next challenge in life if you will there was there was no lifelong volunteers for the fire service and uh, and unfortunately we're one of those volunteer sectors that need that that lifelong commitment and not to take away from those ones that want to come and give time for five years albeit i'm sure the fire services will take them and and, and put the commitment in but it's a lot of money and resources to train somebody and and uh, like it I wish I had the answer. I mean, th this is a national problem um, straight across the board, and I'm certainly not the person to have that answer. Uh, but I, I do know that I'm one of the people that can certainly advocate that uh, that the fire service is in trouble when it, when it comes to volunteers. Maybe not today. Um, we're starting to see it, but five and 10 years down the road, there, there's going to be some major issues. And uh, governments of all stripes and levels are certainly going to have to be entertained in those conversations. They need to realize that at the end of the day, don't I guess don't rely and hang your hat on the fact that everyone, the volunteers will always be there. And I think it's great that you're, I mean, it's important to look after the province you're in and the province and the constituents that you represent. But at the end of the day, you'll take a lot or get a lot by learning from other communities, other provinces. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. I've always said to learn because what they do in Oxford, Nova Scotia Fire Department certainly can help me in Hope, BC if I ever needed it, just because I learned from that. Yeah, no, exactly. And 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 like, uh, I, I say to many municipal councillors as well that, that are looking after funding in, in, in the province. And I mean, Nova Scotia is a small province. I know a lot, you, you know a lot of people just by traveling and, and things. And I've had municipal councillors question the fact, well, why should I send my fire chief to conference XYZ? And it's about the networking. Um, Tom, you, you quite honestly, when we were in the the middle of it, uh, I think it was May 29th. You were one of the very first people that that reached out to me, Tori, thinking about you going, what you're going through. Uh, just a quick little note, but uh, it, it's also knowledge that uh, if if something has to happen, or I needed that question, or hey, I knew Tom was going through a flood two years ago. I need that assistance in Oxford. What did you do in this situation? That networking's key. I mean, we can do all the training we want. We can go to all the disasters and emergencies we want, but without that networking to 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 evolve our local issues on the on the backs of what somebody else has already experienced, that that you can't you can't trade that for anything. I appreciate that, and I appreciate uh, your time. Thank you, Tori, Mr. Minister. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. No, oh, thank you, Tom. I we could sit here and talk for hours, but uh, looking forward to seeing you in Halifax shortly, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll be safe, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast. For more episodes, visit firefightingincanada.com.